This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There are certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, this is Lynn of uh, Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen. And we're here today to talk about a very important subject for all, all people, for really men and women, but it's about uh, women's bodies and women's pregnancy and uh, also the questions around abortion. And most recently, Jen, and you're here too today, so maybe say a word. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, I'm here, I'm listening, and I'm ready to talk about this. Um, this weekend, I read a, an excellent book, uh, Miriam Toe's book, women talking and the new york times had actually recommended the book it's by a canadian author and it involves a group of women uh who are together in uh, a barn there are mennonite women and there are uh, eight of them and one man and they're trying to respond to uh, the fact that their community of women has been raped really by a group of men uh, in the Mennonite community. And so questions around what to do, unwanted pregnancies, many of the women are, are pregnant, uh, revolving around this situation, and many rapes occurred, and it's really questions about what to do with unwanted pregnancy, what to do around abortion, uh, what to do about rape, uh, all of the things that I think, the decisions that really plague women's lives. I'd like to put in a plug for the book. Uh, it, Miriam is really an excellent writer. It's easy to follow, and you can read it in roughly an evening if you're involved and interested. And I think it, it illuminates the question about how do we make these choices as women and what are the burdens that fall to women around this. It also has an excellent male character who is the narrator and I think gives a different voice to all of this. And uh, it's really important, I think, to pay attention to men's voices here too. And just to clarify, I haven't read the book yet. Is it a fiction or is it a nonfiction? It's a novel, and okay. uh, really, uh, though it's written in a very factual manner, yeah. and it is based on a real story okay. that occurred in a Mennonite community where there were a group of young men who would uh, anesthetize women uh, with uh, actually a veterinary anesthesia called belladonna and then rape them. And uh, this happened just repeatedly and over decades. Yeah, and so it's a, a tragic story. But right now, you and I and everyone in the country are reacting to what's happening around the Roe versus Wade decision. Yes. And we've uh, both become familiar with, you told me, about uh, uh, the hashtag, you know me, which I think is going to be very important, which highlights the one in uh, uh, you know, a quarter women that are really getting uh, abortions. 
Yeah, so I, I thought that was a really important thing because it builds kind of on this sense of the Me Too movement, where it's a hashtag again, where it's asking women to share their stories. Uh, one of the things that I found problematic with it, so it was Busy Phillips, and I don't have the tweet in front of me, but she was saying something about one in four women. Oh, here's the tweet. One in four women have had an abortion. And so she's talking about how, you know, Many people think it's not somebody they know, but with that number, it most likely is somebody you know who's had an abortion. And then she hashtags, you know me, telling and sharing her story about her own abortion. And so I think on one hand, this is a really powerful thing to be able to share this experience that is often kept in the dark and silenced and pushed to the corners of, you know, this isn't my problem. This is these other women's problems. And the other important thing is when I was tracking her Twitter feed, there wasn't anybody who went on there and actually clarified the actual statistic. And I think it's actually really important to share that what they did was they looked at a study based on statistics of the number of abortions from 2008 to 2014. And what it said is that Um, So in the American Journal of Public Health, um, it basically said that uh, one in four women will have an abortion by the age of 45. So even though it sounds like a very similar statistic, it's actually very important that we include the full statistic there because it's a little bit different. And it's based on these rates um, between 2008 and 2014. And what the study shows is actually that abortion rates are declining, which I think is very important to, to discuss as a general pattern. And one of the factors in that has been during the Obama years, the very avid sex education that was finally available. Right. So that's what I wanted to look at, too. I was doing some research into what are the top reasons that people get abortions, obviously women getting the abortion. So in this case, um, so the top reasons listed uh, by women who were in abortion clinics were that they were simply not ready for a child or that they could not afford to have a baby. And what studies show is that with increased contraception, increased access to contraception, there is a direct relationship to decreased abortions. So for everyone who wants to have less abortions, or no abortions, as many of these laws are kind of pushing forward, The most important thing, the thing that has the largest impact would be to increase people's access to contraception. And often you see a case where people do not want to have more increase to contraception, but they also want to regulate and limit abortions. Um, You know, we've read a number of articles and, and talked with a number of people kind of prepping for this. And one of the other things that we looked at uh, was an article that's online uh, written by uh, Gabriella, and I'm going to get her name straight here, Briar uh, 
Fulfolo. No, Briar, it's a link. Blair so Fulfolo. I think it's Gabrielle Blair. Blair. Gabrielle mm-hmm. Blair. It's really an interesting and evocative article uh, about men cause 100% of unwanted pregnancies. And one of her main points in that article is really that men do not use condoms and uh, they even when encouraged. They will refuse, and there are many reasons for this, but she kind of outlines them largely being a decline in pleasure. But this whole argument really about men not taking initial steps to prevent pregnancy when it's easily accessible to men, you know, condoms are really everywhere, and they won't take the step they need to prevent the pregnancy, then women are left really with the responsibilities related to it. And so her point, um, I don't think you can take it literally, men don't cause 100% of unwanted pregnancies, but it's important to pay attention to the joint roles that men and women have in pregnancy and the decision-making trees, where they are, you know, if men want to stop abortions, you can stop unwanted pregnancies and you can ask women, are they ready? And, uh, you know, really, I've always said we should have a child care test before we engage in raising children. Mm-hmm. Maybe give them a little bit of that test and then figure out if they're set to go with it. But uh, again, it's, I think, a very interesting article for women to read at this time. Yeah, well, I think for everyone, I don't think just women necessarily. And I think so first off, we will post this article on our Facebook page. So please go check that out. And um, I think also, it's really around this idea that the responsibility has been unaccurately shifted onto women is essentially what she's arguing about. And that the ways in which we prioritize um, men's men's discomfort or men's comfort, I guess if I'm saying prioritize, so prioritize <laughs> men's comfort and like trying to avoid their discomfort is very different than the way that we talk about women and women's discomfort, particularly around b- things like birth control, which have some very significant physical symptoms for a lot of women taking them. Yes. Um, I think women are often stuck with the physical symptoms. Uh, In reading the book, Women Talking, uh, there's a lot about the physical symptoms of unwanted pregnancy. You know, the the normal parts of pregnancy, such as morning sickness, vomiting, but then knowing that you may not know the father of the child and you don't have a close relationship with them, you can't trust what's going to happen. So there's so many factors really in that. And of course, rape is different than most pregnancies, but the questions asking the person who is impregnating an individual what his willingness is around this sort of responsibilities is are very important questions, I think. I think it also brings up questions around what does it mean to have an unwanted pregnancy in terms of how, how these types of situations happen. Yeah. And you bring up the high rate and really to think about one and a quarter you know, 25% of women over a time span, which is really what it is. It's right. a lot of women over their, what they call the childbearing years, though we bear children before and after that period. Right. But that all of us have that likelihood. I'd also like to bring up another statistic. A third of all women have 
miscarriages. Mm -hmm. So I think that's I think it's actually a quarter, you know. um, I think miscarriages mm-hmm. are a third, really. It's a different, but we could check that. Yeah, you we may can be definitely right. check that statistic. Yeah, but miscarriages are, again, it's a normal selection process, but that's even an, an additional group where a, a proportional group of that number are unwanted too. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have a lot of women, at least a quarter, you know, having the experience of thinking, I really don't want this. And in preparation for this podcast, you and I were talking about um, women, I think, often through their childbearing years and even beyond, I can speak to, they um, think about unwanted pregnancy and what would happen if I got pregnant? Yeah. What would happen to my life goals? What would happen to the children I do have? All mm-hmm. of those things. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of an ever-present force in your life. Yeah, I, I when I went to high school in the 60s, I would say maybe one in 10 of the women in my high school class became pregnant with unwanted children. And they went away to various uh, facilities to have them, you know, usually Catholic, but not always girls facilities. And um, that made all of the girls in my high school class very mindful of the fact that they too could be in that situation. So I grew up thinking I need not to get pregnant or my life goal of being a doctor yeah. would be significantly interfered with. And I was not alone. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know it's odd. You know, we were talking about women who think they're pregnant if they miss a period, but that's not so odd, even if they have not had sexual intercourse. Yeah. I think it's a fear that women have. Well, that's kind of how this started was I was thinking about, you know, I have a lot of like 13, 14 year old clients who come in and they're panicked and they think they're pregnant and it's because they've heard that you know if you miss your period for a certain amount of time there's a high chance that you could be pregnant Um, and they're missing this key piece of information though about having to have certain physical types of intercourse in order to become pregnant and so I'll ask them about oh have you engaged in this type of physical intercourse and they'll say oh no I've never had sex before and I'll say, oh, okay, you know, and then we have to have a conversation about, yes, missing your period is one of the signs that you could be pregnant, but it also happens after, you know, you're, you're engaged in some type of physical intercourse with somebody. But I think it really indicates both incorrect knowledge, but also the huge fear for women yes. about getting pregnant in, in an unwanted way yes, and not being able really to care for the child you would love and, Mm -hmm. you know, then have to bear. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a, that's a hard one for people who haven't been in that situation to really understand. Yeah. I mean, that type of fear. I also think like, it's so important that people have these conversations so that we don't have to have 13 year olds freaked out about whether or not they're pregnant when they haven't been in a situation where that's a real threat for them. Um, just this last week, a young girl, you know, high school age, came into my office and uh, uh, she had had uh, uh, sex and uh, two days later, then got within the time frame, got the plan B and used it and uh, was then much less fearful. But when she first came to the office, she was extremely fearful. She wanted somebody else to really talk it through with and 
you know, so fearful that she couldn't even navigate the steps of going to the drugstore. Yeah. And accessing the plan B and taking it. We had to kind of role play Mm -hmm. asking, you know, in the drugstore where it was and then paying for it at the checkout counter and the whole range of activities and then having a friend available to provide support, all of that we had to run through. Well, it's such an emotional experience in addition to just the physical experience because taking plan B isn't just like you pop a pill and you feel great, you know, like there are physical symptoms to it. And so I think being able to have these discussions, luckily she had you as a therapist where you could run this type of thing through. Yeah, and talk about the nausea and the headaches and yeah. some of the other side effects that really happen with it. And talk about all the, also the emotional feelings. Um, there are a lot of studies that have shown that uh, women who have had uh, an abortion, and I would guess there are studies also about women who use Plan B, really think about the potential for that individual, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they really, really think, think and consider it very carefully. carefully. Mm-hmm. This is another point that I really don't like about the the global political argument that um, the assumption is, I think, by many men that women are not really considering very carefully what happens to their bodies and what happens to potential children. And I think women struggle to make honest decisions about this much more than men ever, ever give them credit for, ever think about it. Yeah, it's often a very well thought out process and one, unfortunately, that's filled with so much fear. Well, fear and shame. Shame, I was going to say patriarchy we have and Mm -hmm. the hierarchy that blames women for not, for even getting pregnant. It's Mm -hmm. your fault. You did it. It's your body. It betrayed you. It did this thing. And I think it's very difficult for women around this whole experience. And that's why I think, you know, the author we were talking about, Gabrielle Blair, that's why she wrote this article about, you know, men causing 100% of unwanted pregnancies. I think the other thing that has come up is for to get people into the mindset of how we treat men and women very differently around the responsibility is she brings up a point where, you know, if we actually are this concerned about unwanted pregnancies, then if we have no problem regulating women's bodies like this, then why not instead regulate men's bodies and have all, let's say, like 15-year-olds or 13-year-old boys, you know, as soon as they're able to, that they get vasectomies. And obviously, a lot of people are like horrified by this. But when we talk about women's bodies and and asserting that type of control, there isn't that same type of outrage. Well, and I'm sure you know this, Jen, but they researched and worked on a male pill that men could take Mm -hmm. that would affect their potency. And yes, why not have all men until they're really prepared to be responsible for a child? take this pill, you know, and and engage. Why not develop the research on this pill for men Mm -hmm. that would involve them in this Mm -hmm. or have laws about men who don't use condoms? Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a woman ask and you don't use a condom, you break the law and there's a a fine for it. Yeah. You know, there's a, you know, a lot of responsibility that is attached to this action. Mm -hmm. And we go back to that number one in four, you know, over 
a broad period, you think about, you know, one in four having an abortion. I wonder what the statistic is really for women that have had an unwanted pregnancy and carried mm-hmm. it through. Mm-hmm. And they've done it for other reasons. Mm-hmm. One in four has had the abortion. But how many, and, you know, we look at that hashtag, how many have had an unwanted pregnancy in any way, you know, and one that was not their choice and that was inflicted upon them? Right. And these are the other questions that are being asked by the novel that I mentioned, Women Talking, you know, but also, uh, I think, by other women today. They're starting to think of this because it dramatically affects women's productivity, you know, to have an unwanted child that you can't afford. You mm-hmm. were mentioning the reasons. Mm-hmm. That's one you of the can't, top ones. Yeah. yeah, you can't emotionally give to. Mm-hmm. Those are really, really important reasons. I think that's also one of the privileges of the ther- of being a therapist is I have heard stories from women who have had children that are unwanted. And there aren't very many spaces where they can talk about that experience. And I think it's powerful for somebody to be able to work through the whole story. Yeah, uh, I have treated women who have within the context of families via incest, and also um, outside the family have been become pregnant through rape and other other means, really. Yeah. And I think that is a real legacy that uh, women deal with. Uh, in the novel, and I won't be a spoiler, I think, here, one of the big questions is several of these women are raped, and they are bearing children, uh, the products of the rape. And, um, you know, again, they talk about the love for the unborn child and how does that, the love conquer the feelings that occur around the anchor toward mm-hmm. uh, the father who impregnated them. So... It, it really deals with a lot of really interesting questions, I think, for women. Well, there's so many complex questions there, too. Even, let's say, they, they give birth to this child. You know, how do you have that conversation around the father? How do you have the conversation around, like, how you were born? Because for the children who are wanted, you often have this story of, oh, we really wanted you, and it was this beautiful thing. It was part of our relationship, an extension. You're an extension of us. How do you have that type of conversation when that isn't the story? Many of the children that I've worked with, uh, most often teenagers who've discovered that that was their history um, with respect to their parents, um, it takes them a long time to find it out. It's a secret. Um, They have mixed feelings about it. Many times they want to meet the father still. Or even if, if it's a family member, they have very strong feelings about that. And um, those children are always left with the burden. And, you know, I think if anybody's listening to this who's in that situation, I think it's really, really important to get therapy and begin to talk with somebody about the questions that that really come up for you. Um, as a therapist, I have more anger, I think, with working with children like that who are the product of rapes. It just... Um, makes you very angry with the situation and the legacy of this and what it means. Right. And with the clients that I've worked with that are have been in that situation, whether it was rape or just a different type of unwanted pregnancy situation, um, 
they they often are challenged with their own feelings of being unwanted. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I mean, the therapist's office is a small window into the greater of society, but I think it's really important for people to understand like that there are those lasting consequences too. It's really not just about bringing the child into the world, but what what are you bringing them into and have you thought about what that would be like and how you're going to navigate it? And having that forced upon you is it's already a challenging situation without that, but with that piece it brings in a whole other layer. One of my closest friends is actually in the category you describe and um, her, she is the product of an unwanted pregnancy, and uh, um, she spent her whole life really struggling with whether or not to have children, yeah. and finally decided not to. Mm-hmm. She became a psychologist and is a therapist, and really looks for ways that she can help others in this area. But in terms of herself, there really are these big holes that you... Um, describe and she has to work really really hard to see her way beyond it and I think that many many struggle in the way that she does Mm -hmm. it's it's a really hard situation for so many people involved yes yes and this is back to uh, the whole area of uh, unwanted pregnancy and uh, just what the laws protect you know they really protect a future, you know, uh, and really making all the children wanted. And as I said, I'm still for the test for parenting that, uh, you know, both individuals would have to take. Are they willing to emotionally provide, physically provide, all of these other things and cooperate with each other, you know, as parents to raise a child? Yeah, to have access to those types of classes too before before i mean i know they have like those flower babies i don't know if they still do that um but i remember we had to do that type of you know you carry around the flower bag and you have to uh pretend that it's your child um i think part of it was to show really the challenges of it but i i think we need to have more conversations around balancing kind of the joys of having a child when it when they're wanted and the stresses that come with it. Well, I can vouch for that as a grandmother. I just spent four days with uh, a two-year-old and a six-month-old. And, uh, you know, they're wanted. These are super wanted children. But uh, uh, they had just been recovering from the flu, and I subsequently got the flu. You're very good to do the podcast with me and flu recovery here. But it was it took a lot of energy. And no matter how much love you have and and these kids have a, a lot of energy around them, the workload and the stress and for even for wanted children is very, very significant. Oh, definitely. I mean, all the studies show that that is a great stressor to relationships. It can bring a lot of joy and happiness and it brings a lot of stress and weariness. Yes, and then it's hard to to care for children or care for yourself or others when you're really in that stressed out state. It really is. So I want to go back to what you were talking about around the laws, too, because I was trying to look up some statistics. And I think one of the most important ones I found is that they were looking at whether stricter abortion laws actually lead to a decreased number of abortions. 
And what they found is that no, they do not. So these legal policies, there is clear evidence that they are not effective and that if you want to have fewer abortions, you must focus on preventing unwanted pregnancies. And so I, I think it's really important too, I don't know that we have time to expand the dialogue today, but that we really expand the dialogue to looking at what is it that people are trying to accomplish with these laws versus what they're saying they're trying to accomplish and whether or not they're actually tackling the issue that they claim to be addressing. What do, you, what do you think they're trying to accomplish, Jen? I have my own reaction to this, having watched, you know, how men and women think. And it's not only men who are against abortion and choice. It's really, there's a whole group of women who subscribe, I think, to a group of ideas that control needs to be exerted over women's bodies that can't be done independently. Well, I think you you said it just there. I think that's exactly what this is about. It's about another form of controlling women. And women and their recently bodies. have had a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And uh, women have just the Me Too movement carried with it a wallop. Finally, it's a return on the harassment and the abuse and decades of it. And the, this issue, I think, is a retaliation really for it. Uh, We have the president who's pushing it. So the combo is really very effective retaliation in this area. Well, I think the president is a perfect example of if you look at him across the years, he was actually a very pro-choice president where his opinion was, if it doesn't involve me, it doesn't involve me and it's not important, like you figure it out. And he has publicly now stated differently because he is trying to maneuver his his way with the power that he currently has and i think that's very important to pay attention to is that that type of hypocrisy well i'm very interested in the group of women you know the idea that the mormon woman is writing about this the mennonite a group of women, their story is being highlighted by Miriam Toes. All of this is important because this is subgroups of women that haven't had a voice and want to come forward and talk about both, you know, wanted pregnancy and unwanted pregnancy and what makes the difference here. I think the challenge, too, is that pregnancy has often been seen as a very, like, just women's issue. And obviously, like, there are major reasons for that, women being the ones who have to carry the child for nine months. But I think what it brings up, and it's something that as we're working on this revision of our book, Mm -hmm. we're, we're introducing a chapter that talks about the teens that we see where the teen fathers want to be present, but they're not included even by um, some of the more adult medical figures, such as doctors mm-hmm. and other treating physicians. So I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a complex issue because on one level, like it's very important that women have bodily autonomy. And yet I think we also don't necessarily include men in discussions about how to do that while also talking about their experiences. And this gets back to what you were talking about earlier, the flower babies in high school, and how it's very important to have 
child care classes in high school, have boys be part of all of that, really know about both the work and everything that goes along with children. Um, you know, it's not only caring, it's either eggs or right. flower, flower bags or electric or... children, but, right. and none of them is equal to a real child, I'll tell you that. But uh, it it is important that boys be part of this discussion from the beginning, that they know about it and they're aware of it and they, they see their part in this. And that, I think, is the the thing I want to highlight, too, is that it's very important that they see their part in it, but that they not try to power over women <laughs> and their part in it. Because that, I think, is what a lot of women are currently fighting against, is this power over. You're exactly right. And it's been there a long time, the power over. But then women are talking and more hashtags are developing and, and women are sharing experiences really like these, you know, that are very, very important. So thank you, Jen, for bringing this up. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn. Come on. Let's talk about sex.